Our Heavenly Father, we delight to extol and sing the virtues of that great and powerful name. The name that speaks of your character, of all your marvelous attributes, we have come to experience. We have come to know the power of your name, and our desire is that others would know it as well. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, you know the need of every heart. You know where we are and what we need. We ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would be glorified in all that we do. For we ask it in that precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So I've had the privilege, and it has been a privilege, of knowing my beloved wife now for almost 23 years. And actually... um, In a little bit more than a month, we'll celebrate our 22nd wedding anniversary. Now, I have to admit, um, the first few years of our marriage, our relationship, uh, had some periods of tension. Uh, And really, that was largely on me. I was the one to, to blame for much of that tension. And there were several reasons, but one of the major ones was my lack of understanding, my lack of ability to comprehend the reasons why my wife did certain things or said certain things. You know, it took a while and it took some prompting and quite a bit of encouragement, but eventually, and again, this was really the Holy Spirit. I I wouldn't have even been motivated to try Uh, to change this apart from the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But because of the work of God in my life, I was able to frame the things that she did and she said in the light of what I was learning about her character, about her motivation. And and that really revolutionized our relationship. Uh, It helped us many times to get out of conflicts, and it even kept us from getting into conflicts. Um, Now, I have to really thank her for giving me permission to share all of this this morning, Uh, but there's a reason. There's a reason why I share this, and I relate this experience to emphasize how important it is in a relationship to go beyond the surface and really to learn and consider someone's character and motivation. And what's true of our relationship with one another is also true of our relationship with God. Now, over the next four months, you'll realize that we have transitioned. We used to be looking in the book of Exodus. We went through um, Exodus chapter 20 and looked at the Ten Commandments. And now we're transitioning to the book of Ephesians. So over the next four months, we're going to look at the book of, of Ephesians, and we're going to look there at God's character and God's motivation. Now, particularly, we're going to be focused on this attribute of grace, which is so central, which is so inherent in his character, and that really drives how God interacts with humanity. And we're going to define more accurately, hopefully, what our concept of God should be, and that's going to have a very profound impact on us. And the result, hopefully, will be hearts and lips that are filled with praise and lives that glorify God. So this morning, we're going to start off, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, 
we're going to look at the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. So, the Apostle Paul typically begins his letters with a greeting. And those, that greeting usually has who the letter is from, uh, who the letter is addressed to, and a salutation. And so here's verse 1. In this case, this, this letter, of course, is written to the Ephesian believers. Paul addresses them as saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. You know, I would love to be described or addressed in that way, wouldn't you? This is a very positive characterization, and it tells us that Paul had a very high opinion of the Ephesian believers. If we were to look in the book of Acts, we would see that Paul stayed roughly three and a half years in the city of Ephesus, and the church, since the time that he'd left, had probably grown a little bit, but most of the readers of this letter or this epistle would have been people that Paul knew personally. Uh, One thing I think we can be pretty confident about when we read this epistle is that the majority of the readers were mature Christians. Now, why do I say that? Well, first of all, we know that Paul had been regularly teaching them during the time that he was in Ephesus. And even after he left, that teaching probably continued with Timothy and with others as well. Now, the second thing we need to keep in mind is that the Ephesians had endured a great deal of persecution for rejecting idol worship. Uh, If you recall, Ephesus was the home of the temple of Diana or Artemis. And there was a silversmith named Demetrius who had started a persecution uh, during the time that Paul was there because he saw Paul and all of the other Christians as a threat to his livelihood, the threat to how he made his money. Now, through all of that persecution, the Ephesian believers had remained steadfast. So when we look at this epistle, we can be pretty sure that Paul is not going to give them hollow or superficial inspiration. I want you to keep that in mind as we look through here, because just in case you're tempted to think that Paul is just giving them some sort of a pep talk, okay? he's not giving them a pep talk. He is going to give them teaching that has substance, something that's going to encourage them spiritually, something that is going to help them to stand and to grow. You know, we need substance this morning, don't we? Uh, The society that we live in is just as antagonistic and opposed to Christ followers as the society in Ephesus. And we need something real and solid to encourage us to stand and to grow. And that's what I hope this will be this morning. So let's go on to verse 2. Now this salutation, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a pretty common salutation from the Apostle Paul, and he greets them with grace and peace. You know, we enjoy grace and peace today because of our relationship with God. Really, when it comes down to it, there is no other reliable source of true grace and true peace. Now, Paul's focus in verses 3 to 14, which we're going to look at, is on God's character, who he is, his motivation. He wants to remind the Ephesians about what drives God's relationship with them, God's working in their lives. 
then this is something that we need to hear as well. Our faith is not, it's not academic. It's not philosophical. It's relational. Uh, we exercise faith not in a concept or an ideology. Our faith is in a person, and it is rooted in the reliability of his character and his attributes. Thinking about attributes like love, goodness, truthfulness, kindness. So what do we want to learn from this passage? Well, I think there's three primary things. There's a lot of things, but three things primarily stood out to me. One is that God delights to bless. Uh, This passage is going to talk to us about seven specific blessings that God has given us. We're going to look at them briefly. Second, we learn that God is proactive and not reactive. And then third, we're going to learn that God's ultimate purpose is to unite all things in Christ. So why is it important for us to learn these things? Well, they define our concept of God and influence how we are going to relate to him. If we really grasp them, the outcome in our lives, similar to what it was in Paul's, is a heart full of praise. But if we don't really understand and comprehend these things, we can get frustrated, we can get miserable in our relationship with him, and we can be hindered in living out our faith and become ineffective in our witness. So it's important to understand these things. So let's look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, most of Paul's epistles start with a note of thanksgiving for the, pray, for the saints and uh, with a statement that Paul is praying for them or appreciates them in some way. This is true, for example, in the book of Romans or in Philippians or in the Thessalonian epistles. But I want you to notice that Ephesians and also 2 Corinthians, by the way, are different. They're unique. They begin with the words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even as the apostle is starting to write this letter, before the words come out, he is compelled to begin with this note or declaration of praise to the Father. And you can sense that Paul has really been impacted by what he is about to teach. It has affected him. Now Paul continues the thought in verse 3. He says, The Father is deserving to be blessed because He has blessed us. And that word there, blessed, means to cause to prosper, to make happy. And our Father isn't stingy. I want you to notice verse 3, it says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He hasn't held anything back. So what's your concept of God? The answer to that important question really has a profound impact on your life. Perhaps you see him as a powerful creator. Maybe you see him as as good and kind. On the other hand, perhaps you see him as someone with a long list of rules who is just waiting for an opportunity to catch a violation. Maybe you think of him as somebody who is distant and, and apathetic, unconcerned. You know, the picture that scripture presents to us of God here and elsewhere is 
one who is unsurpassed in benevolence and in generosity. He loves to bless. It's an outflow of, of his grace. It's inherent in his character to do so. Now the rest of the passage that we're going to look at this morning really provide us ample proof because they talk about just some of the marvelous blessings that he has given us. But you may ask this morning, well, if I have been blessed, if I have been given all these blessings, shouldn't I feel or sense them in some way? I don't really feel prosperous or happy this morning. You know, I'm dealing with all kinds of financial challenges or maybe relationship challenges. I am struggling and I don't feel blessed. So I want to remind you, we're talking here about spiritual blessings. They're perceived and appreciated in the spirit or by our spirit. Now, most of us are used to physical blessings, uh, food, water, houses, cars, those kinds of things. We can even comprehend abstract or, psycholog- or, um, abstract or physiolo- psychological concepts like love or fear or hate. We've experienced these things either with our senses or in our souls. Of course, now, spiritual blessings do flow over into the physical and psychological domains, and we can, but, but to really comprehend them, to really grasp them, requires spiritual perception. And that's where the challenge lies for many of us, or most of us. We haven't expended the effort to really develop our spiritual perception, and so we don't fully value God's blessings. Some of you are familiar with the story in Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 to 34. It's a story about Esau, who's the eldest brother or eldest son of Isaac and brother of Jacob. One day Esau comes in from hunting, and he is absolutely famished. His brother Jacob offers him a bowl of stew in exchange for his birthright. Now, as the firstborn, Esau was, would have been the recipient, his birthright would have included all of the promises that God had made to Abraham. Now, that included not only, spirit, that only, included not only material prosperity, but incredible spiritual blessings. Really, this, the exchange that Jacob was proposing was absolutely ridiculous. But the reason why Jacob made that offer is because he knew that Esau did not value those promises. He didn't value the spiritual blessings that he was giving up. And as a result, Esau gave up incredible, incredible wealth for really nothing. Now, something else to keep in mind is that spiritual growth and maturity are needed to fully appreciate and apply spiritual blessings. Now, I've had the responsibility of teaching both of my daughters how to drive. Well, at least, at least partially teach them how to drive. Um, most, some of you have done that, and you know that the first phase is to teach them about the rules of the road in a classroom and the, and the procedures or process for operating a motor vehicle. Okay? But it doesn't stop there. You have to actually get out on the road and drive the vehicle. If you don't do that, you only have an academic understanding at best of the purpose behind the rules of the road and the procedures for operating a car. Now, 
I have to confess, it took a little time, a little effort to actually transition from the classroom part to the on the road part. But once they started driving, following the rules of the road and understanding them and, and the process for operating a car became pretty much natural, almost automatic. Okay? And I'm very happy to say that they are both excellent drivers. So it's a cycle. So you see it's a cycle. As you live out your calling, your capacity to appreciate and apply the spiritual blessings grows. And as the capacity grows, you're better able to live out your calling. But we tend to fall short in either one or both areas. We don't expect the effort, expend the effort to really learn God's character and all of the tremendous blessings that he has provided, or we fall short in actually applying the blessings and living out the calling. I'm not going to guarantee that just understanding and appreciating the spiritual blessings automatically means that we're happy with the way that God chooses to bestow them. Sometimes blessings may involve correction. They may involve loss because we need to grow spiritually. We need to grow in maturity. From a human perspective, obviously, that doesn't seem like blessing, but really it's an indication that our perception needs to change, our perspective needs to change. And you can also ask the question, well, why does God give us spiritual blessings if it's so difficult for us to really perceive and appreciate them? Well, I could think of a couple of reasons. I'm sure you could think of more. You see, when we trust Christ, we move from the physical to the spiritual domain. The Bible says we are taken out of darkness and into light. Now, we may not fully comprehend this as we sit here this morning, but we are primarily spiritual beings. We're meant to walk, we're meant to live in the spirit. Do we do that? Probably not. But the spiritual blessings are intended to remind us that our destiny and our eventual destination is the heavenly places, not the earthly places. So if you think about it, giving temporal or material blessings to spiritual beings is really inconsistent and unproductive at best. The second reason God gives spiritual blessings is that the spiritual domain is what is going to last, right? There's no point in loading us up with material blessings because they're going to fade away. They're going to go away. Right? So that's just two reasons what I thought of. Let's go on to verse 4 to 14. Verses 4 to 14 talk about two categories of blessings. Those that we have already received and those that we are about to or yet to receive. Okay? We could spend, literally I'm sure, all day just walking through these blessings, um, but we don't have time. So my intention this morning is to give an overview and I would really encourage you to go and read and study these things. It'll bless you. But there are a couple of things I do want to take away from this overview. Okay, two things really. Uh, One is that these blessings emphasize God's grace, which is one of the things that we're going to talk about through this series uh, because we absolutely don't deserve any of these blessings. They're purely because of God's grace. And the second thing is they really emphasize 
how wise and thoughtful God is because not only are these things things we don't deserve, these are things that we absolutely need. They're absolutely essential. So let's, let's dig into them. The other thing that I want you to notice is that you know, God's choice or decisions to give us these attributes really are very independent of us. Verse 4 says this, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. So we have been chosen. We've been chosen to be holy and blameless. Now this is not talking about where we are right now. It's talking about a future state. This is what we're destined to be. This is what we have to look forward to. Holiness is a key attribute of God. He is separate. He's undefiled. He's pure. The word tells us that He is separate from sinners. We've been chosen to share in that attribute. Now that choice happened before the world even began. Before you and I even came into existence, God had already chosen us to be holy and blameless. Now being holy is it's a difficult thing for us to grasp. It's a difficult thing for us to comprehend because we are so far away from holiness. But that is going to change one day. You know, I find it really encouraging and at the same time very challenging that our Heavenly Father hasn't decided or, or doesn't stop at just cleaning us up on the outside. He has absolutely committed to a 100% inside-out transformation. That's what it means to be made holy. And holiness, you know, isn't optional. It, it's essential. If you think about our eternal destination... Um, our home in the future where we're going to spend eternity is holy. And we cannot, I repeat, cannot bring any sin into that place. You know, if you think even one sin, if even one sin got into that place, um, before you know it, it would spread like cancer and we would have the same uh, suffering and pain that plagues our existence here on earth. And being holy and blameless is essential to an open and transparent relationship with God. Verse 5, going on, it says, In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now Harold Honer, who is a biblical scholar and professor of New Testament studies at Dallas Theological Seminary, talks about the nature of adoption in the Roman world. Now that is the concept of adoption that most of Paul's readers would have been familiar with. He says this, Under Roman law, the procedure for adoption had two steps. In the first step, the son had to be released from the control of the natural father. This was done by a procedure where the father sold him as a slave three times to the adopter. The adopter would release the son twice and he would again automatically come under his father's control. With the third sale, the adoptee was freed from his natural father. So that's the first step. In the second step, since the natural father no longer had any authority, the adopter became the new father with absolute control over the son. The son was no longer responsible to his natural father but only to his newly acquired father. And the purpose of adoption was so that the adoptee could take his position as a natural son in order to continue 
the family line. Adoption is an act of God's grace that gives us a permanent place in his family and a permanent relationship with him. It takes us out of the family of Adam and places us into the family of Christ. Adoption is a decision that God made before we or anything else ever came into existence, and it is irrevocable, cannot be reversed. Verse 5 also tells us that the motivation behind that decision, that predestination, was love. He loved you before you were born, before you were even conceived. And he had a plan for you before time began. Uh, Verse 7 says, And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So that first part is about redemption. Now redemption means to buy back or to purchase freedom. It's required when you've lost possession or ownership of something that is really precious or important to you. Uh, It's often... It's often very costly. It often involves paying a price that is perhaps a lot more than that item is actually worth. Now, a wonderful illustration of redemption is the story of this little boy who built a sailboat. Now, he worked hard to construct all the little pieces, attached it together, he tarred and he painted it. He took it to the lake and he pushed it in, hoping that it would sail. Surely enough... The wind grabbed hold of the sail and it went rippling through the waves. Suddenly, before the boy knew it, it was out of his reach. He waited and he tried to grab it, but he couldn't reach it. He watched it float away. He was hoping that it would come back, but it never did. It went farther and farther away and eventually disappeared. When he went home crying, his mom asked him, well, what was wrong? Didn't the boat work? He said, yeah, it did. It only worked too well. Sometime later, the boy was downtown and he walked past a secondhand store and in the window, he saw his boat. It was unmistakably his. So he went in and said to the owner, well, that's, that's my boat. Walked over to the window, picked it up, and he was about to leave. And the owner said, hey, wait a minute. That's my boat. I bought it from somebody. The boy said, no, 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 it's my boat. You can see right here all the little scratches and marks where I worked on it. And the man said, I'm sorry, if you want it, you're going to have to pay for it. And that poor little boy didn't have any money, but he worked hard and he managed to save up the money. And one day he went in and he bought that boat. You know, when he was leaving that store, someone overheard him saying, You're twice my boat. I made you. You're first my boat because I made you. And second, you're my boat because I bought you. If you're ever tempted to think that you aren't worth that much, just remember what God thinks of you. You know, you're twice his. First, because he made you. And second, because he purchased you. You know, we were owned by sin. We were disqualified from ever partaking in any of God's blessings in his kingdom. And God had to pay an exorbitant price. We remember that price this morning. The blood of his own son was what he paid to redeem us, to purchase us. Verse 7 also tells us that we have forgiveness of our trespasses. 
That's a very careful selection of that word. Trespass means to willfully step over the line. We're not talking here about a mistake. We're talking about a deliberate breaking of God's law. God in His grace forgave our trespasses. You know, we don't deserve it, but forgiveness is absolutely essential. We were condemned, eternally separated from God, but now we are no longer, we're forgiven. We're no longer accountable to the consequences of that sin because Jesus took the consequences on Himself. The guilt is gone. We can enjoy a meaningful relationship with God and be part of His eternal kingdom. All right. Verse 9, God has revealed to us a mystery. Mystery in the divine sense is something that has been purposely hidden so that at one time it can be revealed. God has made known to us the mystery of his will, not to everyone, just his children, because he wants us to know what is coming up. He wants us to have the confidence and security that there is a plan for our future. Now all these blessings that we've talked about you know, if you study that passage, one of the things you realize is the blessings that God has given us already qualify us and prepare us for blessings that are yet to come. That's God's marvelous grace. He blesses us so that he can bless us even more. Take a look at verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, most of us are familiar with the idea of an inheritance. An inheritance is something that has been promised to us that we do not yet possess. Now, what is that inheritance? We don't know exactly, okay? But we can see that there's a strong, there's a similarity and a strong connection between the inheritance and our adoption. Just like adoption, inheritance has been predestined and it is aligned with God's purpose, which is consistent with His will. And that adoption gives us access to the inheritance. Verses 13 and 14 say that we have been given the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee to us. So the Holy Spirit, in a sense, is both a present blessing that we enjoy. It's a marvelous blessing that allows us to have a relationship with God. But it's also a guarantee of something that is coming in the future. And it's something that we will enjoy throughout all eternity. Now I wish we could really dig into each one of these blessings, Uh, but I would encourage you to take some time and meditate on them. I want you to notice something else in verses 5, 9, and 11. What do you notice that's similar? Well, these verses tell us that God is proactive, not reactive. He doesn't just respond to what others do, He sets his objectives and works his plans according to those objectives. I don't want to give the impression that he doesn't care about what we do. He absolutely does. But that's not the basis of how he acts towards us. He has an objective and he works out his plans. The way I think about it is his works are completely consistent with his eternal purpose and his will. Nothing is done ad hoc. Nothing is arbitrary. What he wills according to his purpose, he accomplishes. And what he accomplishes, he he succeeds 100% of the time. He never fails. That kind of track record is absolutely amazing. Now, I work as a systems engineer on a NASA program. Some of you here 
have, are engineers or have an engineering background and you'll relate to where I'm coming from. For the rest of you, I'll apologize. Hopefully you'll follow along. Okay? When we start a program or a project, we start off with a set of objectives or a set of requirements. Those requirements represent the needs of a diverse set of stakeholders. Call them stakeholders. Uh, we, put that, we put plans and designs together to hopefully design a system that will exactly align with the needs of those stakeholders. Okay? That's the ideal. If we achieve the ideal, it means we succeed in accomplishing the mission at the most economical cost. But here's a secret. Well, it's not a secret, but that never happens. Ever. Okay? There's always defects, there's inefficiencies, because... We're not perfect, right? Our understanding isn't perfect. Our communication isn't perfect. Our skill is certainly far from perfect, right? And so in many cases, most cases, we can get close, right? But it usually means it takes two to three times as long and costs probably about 10 times as much as we expect it to. In many cases, we don't even know what we want or why we want it or let alone how to get it, okay? How many times have you asked yourself, well, why did I do that? Or, or why did I say that? Or, why do I feel this way? Or, why do I think this way? How many times have you said to somebody else, well, well, that wasn't what I meant to do. You know what I can guarantee? God has never said that. He never will. He knows exactly what he wants to do, why he wants to do it, he knows how to do it, and he succeeds 100% of the time. That's the amazing thing about our Father. Now, as you go through these verses, there's one preposition that should really, really stand out to you, okay? So just listen here. Verse 3, blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, chosen us in him. Verse 5, adoption through Jesus Christ. And you can read through them. I won't go through all of them, but one preposition, that the repeated phrase there is in Christ or in Him. We receive all of God's blessings, both present and future, because we are in Christ Jesus. You know, we made no contribution towards being in that position and we certainly don't merit it, but we are placed there by the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, tells us that the Spirit of God baptizes us into Christ. And as a result, the Father deals with us as he does with his own Son. GodQuestions.org says it this way, to be in Christ means God no longer sees our imperfections. He sees the righteousness of his own Son. Only in Christ is our sin debt canceled and our relationship with God restored? You get to hear about Mephibosheth twice this morning, right? Isn't our, uh, isn't our God wonderful? Uh, Benoit talked about Mephibosheth, but a great illustration of this is the story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. David asks if there is anyone left of the house of Saul to whom he may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. David said to Mephibosheth, Do not fear, I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land. 
I'll skip the last part. Why did David show such wonderful kindness to this man, Mephibosheth? Why did he go out of his way to establish a relationship with this man that he knew nothing about and had no connection with before? Because when he looked at Mephibosheth, he saw Jonathan. Mephibosheth was figuratively in Jonathan. David loved Jonathan. David had made a covenant with Jonathan and he was going to fulfill that commitment. It was David's love for Jonathan that moved him to have such lavish grace towards Mephibosheth. You know, there are many reasons why we should feel really assured that God's blessings and purposes or plans are in Christ. Because Christ is perfect, the blessings are perfect. Because Christ is forever, the blessings are everlasting. And because Christ will never fail, we know the blessings are eternal and secure. And that blessing goes on into the future as well. Take a look at verse 10. It says, In the fullness of time, that's talking about a time when all of chronology will be ended. Everything will be ended and culminated. God, it says, will unite all things in Christ. If you recall, if you go back all the way to Genesis, man's calling was to be a regent or a steward. Through Adam, God exercised dominion over the entire earth. Unfortunately, Adam sinned. He lost that control. The usurper came in. But when Christ, the Son of Man, fully God, fully human, establishes his kingdom here on earth in a time that is to come, God will regain dominion on the earth. All authority and blessing will flow through Christ. At that point, there will be no limitation or restriction on our relationship with God and even greater blessings are going to flow. All the families, institutions, nations, everything on the earth will be united in their purpose to praise God, to glorify Him. You know, that is a key objective of the proclamation of the gospel. That's where we're going to finish up here. To encourage men and women to trust Christ and to be baptized into Him. Scriptures make it clear, everyone who is in Christ will continue in a relationship with God through eternity. Everyone who is outside of Christ will be separated from God through eternity. It's not me saying that, that's Scripture saying that. The Bible calls that perishing. So let me ask you this morning, where, where are you? Are you in Christ or are you outside of Christ? I'm not asking if you go to church regularly or if you call yourself a Christian. What I'm asking is, have you come to a point in your life where you realize that you are a sinner before a holy and righteous God, that you need forgiveness, that you need redemption? Have you trusted Christ and received his gift of eternal life? There's nothing you can pay. There's no work you can do the only contribution you can make is to repent, which means to change your mind, change your attitude about yourself, about God, and trust not in yourself, but in Christ who died for your sins. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, 
that when you receive the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in him, you'll be sealed with the, with the promised Holy Spirit. You can know for sure. That's not a, a strange thought. The Bible says you can know for sure that you're saved, that your eternal destiny is heaven. If you're not sure about that, I would encourage you to talk to someone and learn about how you can know for sure. We're going to look through the book of Ephesians over the next several weeks, over a couple of months. And our goal as we look through there is to look into the character, into the motivation of our great God. He's given us a calling as well. The second part of the book talks about that. He's provided everything we need to live out that calling. We need to grow in our appreciation of him, of his blessings, and then actually live out that calling. That's our drive. That's our desire. As we learn more about him, we want to live out his calling. And as we do so, our joy is going to grow. We'll find our hearts filled with praise and thanksgiving to him. And we will be effective in his kingdom and we will bring him great glory. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the consideration that we've had the time to study into your word. You are a God who loves to bless. And we thank you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us and continues to bless us and will yet bless us still. And Father, we just want to acknowledge that this morning and thank you for it, Lord. Continue with us today. Uh, help us to glorify you. Help us to be, have hearts that are filled with praise, filled with appreciation for who you are and what you have done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.